Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall, and I am sitting here with my two podcast hosts, Kayla Solomon. Hi, Kayla. Hello. And Dominique Simone Levine. Hi, Dominique. Hi there, Laurie. Kayla, nice to see you. Okay, so we're going to kind of continue a little bit of a conversation that we had in our last podcast where we were discussing shame. And Kayla, why don't you kind of introduce what your thoughts were of how we should continue this conversation? Well, for one thing, I want to, we're going to be talking about shame, and I do want to give a shout out to Benet Brown. I think it's a valuable listen to listen to her TED Talk, but also she has a podcast that's remarkable and her books are great. And she's literally done research on shame. I can't recommend her enough. It's wonderful to listen to her. But the idea with shame is that, as I said before, it's an annihilating state to be in. And actually, when you think about shame, that's usually when people feel the most suicidal. Okay. And I know I'm leaping to this, but if you look at why people actually kill themselves, it's because they cannot get rid of this feeling of shame. Because if you think about shame as completely annihilating, completely overwhelming, completely consuming in a very, very negative way, then you cannot function in any way if you're bathing in shame. It basically hijacks you and you're in this very, very intense physiological state and thought looping of negativity of yourself. So it's not just, oh, I feel bad that I did that, which is guilt. It's I am. I am is the shame sentence. I'm a loser. I am a failure. I am a screw up. I am unworthy. I am unlovable. So what happens is those statements absolutely consume us. Again, I'm going to say this again. You have to go back to early states of being because often it's developed early in childhood. But there's other situations that either feed it or you can get it created later on in life because of something that happened that you feel terrible about. So shame is a very, I'm going to, take a leap and say it is the most destructive state of being as well as emotion because it feels absolutely unfixable, unmanageable. And what it does is it makes it very difficult to do anything because it's so consuming and it's so part of you. Yeah. And it's generic. It's not like, oh, I have to change this behavior and everything will be hope. It's like you have defined yourself in this way. And then how do you get out of that? And let's look at the addiction piece of it. People who use substances are trying to get away from hard emotions. That's the very first reason that people do it. They feel isolated. They feel embarrassed. They feel like they don't fit in. So they're trying to fit in. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're unstable for whatever reason. And so what happens is if like there's any trauma involved, then they already have shame. And so they start to use. And then 
using substances and being dependent on substances is a shame-based behavior. Because basically what, what sets up in that dynamic is I am being controlled by this other entity, which is whatever you're abusing or using, and I cannot live without it. And I also cannot stop doing it. So you could hear the shame spiral that comes with this. It's this consuming thing that you have no control over, which is what shame feels like. So it feeds itself. And then people do all kinds of awful things to be able to maintain their use, which creates more shame. Because then it, it basically, the shame at that point sounds like, you see, I told you I'm blah, blah, blah. You see, look at what you've done. You see, you're not capable. You see, and so once again, you're bathing in this completely negative emotion that is totally immobilizing. I totally hear it. And I also feel it's important to, it's important to help families understand how to move away from it, how to help their loved one move away from it. And I'm, I'm going to say this because a lot of times when what I have seen with some family members, like when we talk about this particular topic, whether it's actually a shame topic or sometimes using a functional analysis, people will get into the family members will feel like they have caused their loved ones shame and guilt. And if they're the cause of it, they can feel horrible, <laughs> like absolutely horrible and really kind of get lost in that. So it's really important for family members to understand one, it's important to understand this cycle and to understand what's going on and why your loved one is behaving the way they're behaving. And here it is, it's because of shame, but also how can you yourself move yourself away from that shame how am I going to move myself away from that shame? And how am I also going to kind of be supportive of my loved one and not pile on more shame onto them, if that makes sense? And what's really important with that is because we've all been there where there's also blame as part of this cycle. Yep. That part of the shame is that society's blaming parents for this, or even what kind of partner are you that you either allow this to happen or that you must be doing something wrong, which is causing that person to act like this. And then there's also the very frequent substance use person blaming their loved one for why they are in this position. And it's a huge issue. The anger though, you did this to me. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. And because if you're starting out with shame as your receptor site already, then when somebody does these blame things, it's going right in and hooking in. And then you're like, oh my God, what did I do? How they're doing this because of me. It's my fault. So fault and blame is a very big part of the shame cycle. Dominique, were you going to say something? I was just going to add a little more shame to the shame. Um, <laughs> Can't have enough. The moment families, I've heard this so often that I have to say, if I were doing stages of change for families, there's a stage in which they say, I've had enough. Enough is enough. I don't care. I just want it to end. I'm doing stuff that I've never done before. I don't care. And that moment is a moment of empowerment, a moment of energy, a moment of, okay, I've got some energy to put a little more effort into this. Maybe I'll look at those modules on craft, you know? It's also a deep moment where you go, I'm so ashamed that I just was willing to quit this. I am really willing to quit this you will surprise yourself and you will feel shame for thinking that. And so I'm just 
reminding you that this is all part of your unblocking and being willing to advance to a place where you're willing to have maybe look at it anew, maybe take a, a slightly more different risk analysis of the situation. Listen to what we're suggesting, apply it to your family, try the little things and start to shift this because likely chance is you've hit this place and you know you have to do more, you have to do something different. And sorry to be so promotional, but I truly believe this. This is the essential skill set you need as a family member. This is the best approach there is for family members. That's hands down. That's every study I've ever looked at. Craft outperforms three times a regular intervention and provides amazing relief to families in terms of anxiety and worry. So this is the best thing you can try. You can go through this, listen to our, our videos, jump on a few of our calls, our groups. And if you try this and it doesn't work for you, I feel you can say you've tried the very best thing you could have done. But I think that that's a really important point, Dominique, is that by the time people get that frustrated, they feel like they've tried everything. And so that continues the shame. I can't do this. I'm not whatever. And that's why the craft approach is so different from everything else, because in my experience, it's the first time that the focus is on yourself. If you're listening to this, that's the focus. We're not focusing on the other person. We're focusing on you. And everything that comes out of it is about you, which goes back to the, how do you deal with the shame piece? What's the actual work that you could do? The treatment for shame is empathy and compassion. And in this case, I cannot say this enough. It has to start with yourself. You start with having empathy and compassion for yourself because you are not equipped to give it to anybody else if you do not do it for yourself. I personally think of that as hypocrisy. Like if I could have empathy and compassion for you, but I beat myself up and I judge myself and I'm harsh with myself, then I'm basically speaking out of two sides of my face. And that is not a healthy way to be. So with all of the, the work that we're asking people to do is you start with yourself for a couple of reasons. One is then you're actually calming your system down, you're learning tools, you're learning how to do it well, because believe me, if you could start using empathy and compassion with yourself, which is basically something that you're gonna need to create as a behavioral habit, okay? This is not just this occasional, oh, it's okay, I don't mind. It's a structure that you need to create for yourself. And, and part of it is that you need to have a line that you use. So for example is, you say to yourself, oh, that must be scary. That must be hard. Oh, you know, you reacted that way because you were feeling really disturbed by the situation. It's okay. It's okay. So you start with that. And the empathy has to be about your changing your story. So when I think of the story, all of us have stories running in our, our heads all the time. It's how we see the world. So somebody does something, we then make up a story about why they did that, what it has to do with us, you know, what our role in is, is it if it's somebody who's close in. And what I believe is the empathy is about changing the story. Oh, I think that they acted that way because they must be scared or they must be having physiological pain that they're trying to deal with so that it's not personal to us. And, you know, that's my belief totally is that people do not do things to us. It's that they're doing things because of their own issues and it affects us. 
But the story that we make up is they're doing this to us, which is not true. Okay. It's like the things that we do, we're not doing it to people. We're doing it because of our own issues. So the more we take these dynamics apart and add empathy, empathy actually calms your system down. Empathy gives you space. Empathy gives you understanding in a different way. And then that begins the work of really trying to know yourself better and have more self-awareness and have more awareness of what you react to and how to shift yourself if you can. And again, that's practice. It's not, oh, I had this insight. I'm never going to do this again. What are you kidding me? It's like if you if it only takes three years to change a behavior, I think that's progress. I want to add a little bit in here because I also think it's important to understand that actually having empathy for somebody else helps you to have empathy for yourself. I found that the more I could empathize with my son, the more empathy I could have for me and the more understanding I had for myself. How'd you get there? Starting to use my craft skills and starting to use like understanding statements and really what it did for me is, let's say my son was in a particular situation and he was frustrated and I, I'm just going to use a work kind of thing. Like, you know, oh my God, I, I went to work today and my boss was so freaking mean to me. I was late and he yelled at me in front of everybody. He said he's sick and tired of me being late and he humiliated me in front of everybody. Okay. So I have some choices here. I could say, I could say something like, well, you know, you've been, you've been late the past two weeks. Uh, I kind of get what your boss is saying. Not very empathetic, not putting myself in my loved one's shoes. So instead coming up with an empathetic statement, which I want to clear up empathy and validating is about thoughts and feelings. It is not about agreeing with the person. So I can validate my loved one and make an empathetic statement. And I'm not agreeing with anything that's going on. I'm not saying it's okay for you to not go to work on time for the past two weeks. But coming up with that empathetic statement, like saying, it makes sense to me that, you know, you'd be really frustrated and kind of not like your boss if he humiliated you and yelled at you in front of everybody for being late. Very empathetic. By doing that, I found that it helped me to, to really have a deeper understanding of empathy, of what empathy is. And it helped me to understand that if I can empathize with my loved one and kind of sit there in it with them, then why couldn't I do that for myself as well? So that when it came time, like, let's say same situation, and I've been trying to practice these empathizing type statements or validating type statements with my loved one. And I don't do it. I go, oh my God, well, you've been late all week. And I kind of, in my mind, screw it up. I'm going to walk away from that situation. Or originally I would walk away from that situation and be like, you're such a loser. You didn't do it. And start feeling that shame of what I did to my loved one. Instead, or now I might be able to say, okay, you messed up but you're human, Laurie. And how can I be empathetic towards myself? Okay, well, you know what? You messed up. You can't be perfect. You're not going to do everything correctly. And, uh, and what are you feeling? How are you feeling? Why do you think you did that? Right? Oh, uh, well, you know what? You had a really long day at work and you really, maybe you just weren't in the mood to hear stuff right now. 
you know? And then is there anything you can do to kind of make it better? Having empathy for someone else always helps me to kind of, well, why can I be empathetic towards them and kind of giving towards them, but yet not be giving towards me? That doesn't make sense. I've got to be forgiving of myself. Absolutely. Something has to generate the pointer back to the self. (laughs) Because the self is the least likely person who's going to get any compassion in our story of, of shame. And so what I was thinking was, catch yourself being empathetic to your loved one and then remember yourself, stop, and then try and um, appreciate that you're hurting. And the stopping is recognition that you are hurting and that you're pushing shame into the picture. And here it comes again, and it's going to cover me completely. And what am I going to do? And oh, gosh, just stop. For God's sake, stop. You know, and, and now we can talk about, Kayla, about soothing techniques and how do we catch ourselves and what can we do in the minute now that we've caught ourselves about to drum ourselves into the ground with yet another moment of complete shameful annihilation. And I speak of this like I know it because I know it. And one thing I was going to say was at the end, how can I make it better? So how I've been making it better when I am catching it is going, how can I make it better in real life? Can I reach out to someone? Can I talk to someone? Is there a good counsel out there? Is there an action I can take? And lo and behold, I did that this past week and the action completely took away the shame. And it gave me a little bit of confidence that I can get through this very hard thing that I'm doing with some success, even just, you know, a little bit of success. So how do we, now that we've pointed the picture towards us, Kayla, bring us up to speed on choices and soothing mechanisms and things that we can do for ourselves. Well, my my marching orders always start with what's the most effective thing to do and how do I have the best impact in terms of making things better? For example, like if somebody gives me feedback and I just want to point out that if you are somebody who gets evaluations, I don't know if anybody's been in that situation, but if you get evaluations and you have 20 people in your group and then one person gives you a negative evaluation, that's what you're going to actually remember. That's the part that's going to torture you. Somebody could give you 20 compliments saying, well, but, you know, I really would appreciate I didn't like it when you did blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting because all of us feel that pang of like, ah, attack. You're attacking me. You're saying I'm, I did something wrong. I was bad. That's the shame piece. Remember that the addiction community used to be built on breaking people down. I want to put that here because it's really important. The idea was that you created yourself in this very negative way, and we are going to take you down so that you can rebuild yourself. So we're going to take you apart and we're going to literally build you back get you into the nothingness so we could rebuild you from scratch, like the Phoenix rising. But what they found is that if you shame people, which was what it was all about, people felt terrible about themselves. And if you feel terrible about yourself, your least functioning self is going to come forward. So start with the idea that you want your best self to be operating, which means to beat yourself up, to feel shame is not a great position to be coming from. It does not help. Spiraling about the negative, torturing yourself about what you did wrong is not a helpful technique. So I start with that, that you want to be productive. So number one, the most important thing to do is to really spin things in a positive light. 
you know, people in my group know that it, I am obsessed with reframing. You could tell me any awful thing that you did, and I have the capacity to reframe it into what was good about that? What was positive? How does this have a silver lining? What's good is going to come out of this? You could put me in any situation and I have worked on it for so many years. I could pull it out of anything, out of anything, including the fact that the reason I'm doing these groups here with Allies in Recovery is one of my clients died of an overdose. And that's what pushed me to do this. So terrible situation. This is why I'm here. Life is a cycle. And if you keep moving, then you see what the meaning of things are. So things have meaning later, but you have to keep moving. So that's one thing. The other thing is almost everything that we're doing is about spiraling with negative thoughts in our head. So what we want to do is pick up tools. And we don't have a lot of time to talk about this. We could talk about tools in a whole other session. But you want to look at things in a more positive light. That's the generic thought that I have for this is... What's the positive spin? How could you grow from this? What did you learn? And also, what are the good things that you've done so that you don't erase every good thing you've ever done with this one difficult moment? And it could be that even in one moment, there's positive and negative things happening. And to me, if you take out the judgy, critical, catastrophizing aspect of how we process, then you're in this more neutral thing, which is, okay, that didn't go so well. As opposed to, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. Like really, literally you neutralize it. Okay, that wasn't so great. It's more real. True. It's also truer and less biased. In module seven, by the way, on our site, alliesandrecovery.net, we do a whole description of these sorts of distortions that we're all capable of. And the negative thought one is one of everybody's favorites, but there are many more ways that we create this tendency to like have a bad thought, have a realistic bad thing happen. And yet you pull yourself even further down with the evers, the nevers, the should haves, the black and white thinking, right? The negative thinking. There's so many of them. And we we show you how you do that so that at least you too become a little bit more aware of this part of it, which is that you're doing it to yourself. You're doing something, you're adding something to that suffering, as the Buddhists would say, right? And so let's pick up on what that part of it is that can be addressed, which is that added suffering that you're giving it. Right. And you can't stop it if you don't see it. So awareness is number one with all of this, is that if you're feeling lousy, take it apart. What happened? What triggered you? What story are you telling yourself? And how true is that? Byron Katie does this whole piece of work that's called The Work. And it's basically about really looking at the situation and your negative thoughts and then measuring by how true is that. So she's another person that you could go check out. But really, it's all about cognitive distortions. And that's what shame is about. Shame is a cognitive distortion that got stuck in your body and in your central nervous system. And that's why it comes sweeping up so powerfully because it's stuck in the trauma loop inside your system. And that's where trauma gets stuck. It gets stuck in your body, which is why things roll up so fast for you, because unless you're clearing the trauma, it's right there for you all the time, just waiting. So that's another thing is to like work on, do some trauma work with yourself. Well, 
I think we are kind of coming towards the end of the conversation. So I would like to just remind all of our listeners that Allies in Recovery is running a special right now where if you do half of the modules in 10 days, it's our 10-day challenge, then you get a free five-hour training. So if you think that this is something that might work for you, head on over to the website, look for the 10-day challenge and, and go for it. Kayla, why don't you give us a quick summary of what we discussed? Okay, so today the topic was shame and also negative thinking and negative looping and ways to have awareness of it, ways to kind of separate it from yourself so that you could see it ways to slow yourself down, and also the absolutely essential tool of empathy, especially for yourself, and looking at what story you're making up and how to change your story so that you start looking for the positive so that you could soothe your system. So just kind of quoting Brene Brown, empathy is the antidote of shame. Yep. And check out her information because she's amazing. Okay. Thank you. Bye, ladies. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.